If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, and we're continuing uh, the series called Bless to Bless, a series about Abraham and his life. And the title of the message that I'll be preaching tonight is Collateral Damage. Okay. And uh, I, I just had to look back there. It says Brent McClure, student pastor, preaching tonight. Okay. But I guess that's just in the back, okay? I was a little confused by that just a second. Um, but remember that, please, okay? Good to see all of you here tonight. I was wondering if it was just going to be me here tonight because we have uh, several people in Branson. We've got about four or five people that are in the Caribbean right now. We have one that is in uh, Singapore. And then my wife sends her regrets for not being able to be here tonight. I don't know if you heard it or not, but my granddaughter, Emily, the oldest of my granddaughters, did a cartwheel this past week, and she broke her elbow. And uh, they thought it was just separated and dislocated, but it, it was indeed broken. And she's got a nice, pretty pink cast. And uh, my wife went down to help Tabby and Michael uh, and uh, watch after the rest of the grandkids as well. Okay. But tonight, the message is called Collateral Damage. And we've all, we all heard that term. There's even a movie made uh, entitled Collater Collateral Damage. And collateral damage is when there's an attack on something or uh, a decision that is made, because it can be even more emotional than just physical. But let's just use it in military terms. It's, uh, let's say we're bombing some particular area. And the intent is to bomb that area, destroy that particular area, but invariably there are people who are injured that weren't intended to be injured. Uh, there are people that are killed that are in, in, they weren't intended to be killed, maybe even property destroyed that was not the intent. And all that stuff that was not intended to be harmed is the collateral damage, okay? Um, and, and, but we'll get into that just a little bit deeper, okay? There is something very powerful when you are blessed to be a blessing to other people. And that's exactly what happened to Abram. Okay, We haven't got to where Abram has his name changed to Abraham or Sarai gets her name changed to Sarah. Okay, Abraham or Abram was blessed to be a blessing to the world. And I'm calling this message collateral damage because there's some stuff that's really tough that happens in Abraham's life that affected other people that surrounded him, okay? And, and we have to understand that when we go back this far in human biblical history, there is no template to make decisions. People have nothing to read at that time to make moral decisions about. They don't have the Ten Commandments yet. There's no written scripture yet. God has not said, don't do this or do this. They don't have the Levitical law, which came about about 400 years later after Abraham. They make a lot of decisions that we look at and we say, what didn't they know, why, or why didn't they know uh, that they shouldn't be doing that? Okay, we've got to extend a lot of mercy and grace to Abraham for some of the decisions that he makes. The only instructions that Abraham has gotten from God thus far is go to this land that I'm going to give you and Abraham does not argue with him. He's obedient. Okay? He gathers his family and they take off. Okay, I'm going to dive right in here. Number one, 
life can feel sometimes like a battlefield, okay? Abram has been told he is going to be given all the land where he's been walking. And Genesis 12 and 6 says this. says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Once again, I say the Canaanites were in the land. You know who the Canaanites were, okay? When you read the Old Testament, they are constantly in war with the Israelites, but God has led Abram to this place where the Canaanites dwelled. <laughs> Remember, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. Abraham was down with that. He's good with all that, all right? But he ends up living in a place surrounded by these people who are constantly coming against his people, the Canaanites. And that seems kind of strange to me in light of what God has promised to Abram. Do you ever question why God has put you where you are and what he is doing in your life? In a few years, we're going to be living in a post-Christian nation. Okay, and I'll explain in just a little bit, okay? We're living in a world that's radically changing. And the laws that are being made and changed don't fit the moral fabric that we have fashioned into our lives. It's comfort, uncomfortable to say the least. There's a pattern that is walking away from what is written in the Bible. And in the early part of my life, I lived in a nation that honored God everywhere you went. Okay? Even those people that did not call themselves with Christians, they pretty much honored the, the church, honored God and all those things. It was mended on our, our, our coinage, uh, in God we trust, and, and we're in a land where it seems that we will become the minority and not the majority in not too long. Our utopia, the things that we held as ideals, are slowly disappearing. What do we do about it? I don't know if this is something that we do, but this is something that we don't do. We don't just live angry about it all the time. It's not a pretty sight watching Christians when they live angry. Abraham is being blessed by God and still winds up in this pagan culture of the Canaanite, but he continues to obey God. There was a situation in a community one time, and, and they needed a new football stadium. And uh, they had a school board meeting, and the parents of the community, they got all excited about it, not just people who are directly involved with football and things, but they just wanted to do something for their school. So at the board, school board meeting, they really didn't have enough money. It was a small community, and they, uh, they did, got their heads together. People started donating to the project. They volunteered their own labor to go out and build the stands and the bleachers and whatnot so they could have a respectable football stadium in their community. And it was a great project. People came together, worked hard, donated money, and when they drove past it after it was all finished, somebody, one of the banks or something, had donated a scoreboard. It was really a prideful thing for the community. Great thing. School board kind of initiated. Everybody got behind it. Well, not too long after that, there was another school board meeting. And this school board meeting was about changing the name of their mascot because people were mad about it. Okay, they were upset 
about it. I think they were called the Blue Devils or something like that. And everybody came to the school board meeting, and, and a friend of mine went, and he sat beside another guy that wasn't necessarily a churchgoer, and he leaned over to my friend, and he said, this is going to be interesting tonight. He said, what do you mean? He said, the Christians are showing up. He said, well, When I'm mad or angry, I don't want to be that kind of a person, okay? But Abram lived in a pagan culture, but he was faithful to God anyway and didn't question where he had sent him. Number two, what does it mean to build an altar? As Abram follows God there, there will be several altars that he's going to build. They're going to be sturdy structures. They're going to be made out of, you know, big bricks that he has made himself, they're held together with some sort of mortar that he has mixed together, there'll be horns on each end of that altar, and it's going to be a structure that will stand for a long, long time. Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 7 through 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And verse 8, from there he went on toward the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you stopped in the middle of your life, just in the middle of your life, whenever that was, and said to God, thank you for the journey that you've led me on thus far. You ever do that? Just, you know, all of a sudden you just are overcome with gratefulness and you take time to stop and say, thank you, God. Well, this is what Abraham's doing. In the middle of all this travel, in the middle of all this going to somewhere, he doesn't know where he's going. God is sending them there and he stops and he builds an altar and he says, thank you, God. For what you've done for me thus far. Thank you for my family. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for the fact that I'm breathing today. And when you stop your life, your busy life, and just say, thank you, God, you are building an altar in a sense. Have you built an art, a figurative altar that says, God has proven faithful to me? God told Abraham, I'm going to give you all this to your descendants. And because of that promise, Abraham built an altar. It was a moment of recognition of what God had promised to him. Some of you are here today and you need to build an altar on the hope of the promises that God has given you. 
You haven't seen the manifestation of, of it yet. You haven't seen what God's doing exactly yet. He's told you to go. He's told you to do. We haven't seen it. But, Lord, I thank you for your promise. The altar is the place where you get your stuff open before God. You need to be able to an altar to him. Number three, what should we do when circumstances win in our lives? What should we do when the circumstances of our lives begin to control our decisions? Have you ever had a time when a circumstance forced you to do something that you would not have ordinarily done? You had to make a decision. You had to act, and it was the best you could do at that particular time. This is what is about to happen to Abraham, and it's not pretty. Now, this is one of the stranger stories in Scripture to me. I don't get it. I don't relate to how Abraham could have possibly done what he's getting ready to do, but he did it. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10, okay? And it says, now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Abraham is now crossing the border on the opposite direction from the land he had been promised by God to possess. All these things had piled on, on Abraham and against his family, and he had to make a decision. So he leaves that land, goes back over the river into the land of Egypt. Now here's a challenge in reading the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, okay? We only see the results of Abram's decision. We don't get to see what would have happened should Abram have stayed because he doesn't go back to Egypt at God's command. He just goes. There's pressure. There's famine. He needs to feed his family. He goes back to Egypt. What would have happened if he would have stayed in that blessed land that he'd been promised? We don't get to see that decision. Now, I'm not judging Abram for making a decision based on circumstances because every one of us has done that at one time or another. I've made decisions and gotten ahead of God, and maybe you have also. Here's the point. Sometimes it doesn't just all work out. You know what it's like when somebody comes up to you and say, in a tough time and says, you know, it's all just going to work out? Well, sometimes it doesn't just all work out. However, I know that God will always be there with me in the circumstance of my life. I can run away from him or I can run to him, but I know he's always going to be there. He's that friend that stays closer than a brother. Sometimes I get a hold of God, get ahead of God, and I don't see the result of what would have happened had I waited. What would have happened if Abram would have waited? Circumstances can change your direction, and they can affect other people in your world. Collateral damage. Number four, disobedience can lead to disaster. Now, this is a part of the story 
where when I start reading, I just kind of cringe because of what Abram's about to do. Their names are about to change, but right now they're still Abram and Sarai. And Genesis 12 and 20 says this, As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Here's where I kind of stop identifying with Abram in this story. He says to, to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. In several places in Scripture, it talks about Sarai's beauty, what a, what a lovely lady is, and she was very fair to look upon. I know what a beautiful woman you are, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they're going to kill me. How does he know that? They're going to kill me, but they're going to let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. In verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw Sarai was a beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into the palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep, and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram, Sarai, Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. You know, there's a crazy progression in Abram that we're going to talk about today. All of us have it. All of us have crazy scenarios that we play through in our mind, whether they're real or whether they're not, whether they will really happen or not. We think that they're going to happen, and it causes us to make decisions based on what might happen rather than facts. We live our lives like that all the time. We don't know if the Egyptians were going to kill Abram, but Abram thought they were. In his mind, he's up against a very difficult thing. He's walking into a situation where the unknown is, and he thinks, they're going to kill me. And they're going to take my wife. So let me save my wife and I'll just give them whom they think is my sister. He lied. He thought they would take his life. That was enough to create all this web of lies. And he did this before he came to the border. This was before he met any Egyptians. And I would have loved to have known if Abram would have stayed in that land of promise, if he would have stayed there, what the results would have been. How God would have worked it out. How he would have spared Abram and Sarai if they would have just stayed there. I think God would have found another way to spare him and he wouldn't have to do all this lying. What he did didn't honor God. Okay? And we try to twist it and all this kind of thing in every way that we possibly can. But what he did didn't honor God. 
How dare I question the great patriarch? Folks, every patriarch that we see in the Bible messed up big time. Didn't honor God. And this is when God's wrath came on the Pharaoh. Well, some say, well, that's a good thing. Maybe they didn't have to get Pharaoh involved at all. But I mentioned a progression. This is a progression when we start doing things and we start getting ahead of what God wants. Number one thing is fear. Fear changes our decisions. Abram was afraid. That's why God says the spirit of fear is not of God but of love and of power and of a sound mind. You're not supposed to be afraid. should be angry at ourselves when we get scared. Fear changes our decision. Fear causes us to lock up. There are studies that have been done where people, if they would have taken another step and they would have opened a door in a fire or other dangerous situations, they would have saved their own life. But fear throws them, caused them to lock up, and they perish only a free few feet from safety. Fear. You could add other words on this line. Rather than fear, maybe lust. Maybe greed. Maybe addiction. All of those words start the progression. And we see it in Abram. He's crossing over into Egypt He's afraid he's going to lose his life, and he gets ahead of God. The second step in the progression, he stops being truthful. He says to Sarai, let's tell them you're my sister. Here's the irony of all this. Back in that time, there is no such thing as incest. You remember? There's no written word. There are no Ten Commandments. There's nothing like that. Sarai is already Abram's half-sister. They have the same father, and his name is Terah. They have a different mother. God finally abolished all of that. But before that, the genetics were so pure that that's how uh, uh, they did things. That's changed. God stopped all that. The bloodlines are separated now, and this prevents all kinds of bad things happen in our own lives. Abram withheld the truth. She was his sister, but she was also his wife. Within the family, all that changed when the genetics, genetics became uh, uh, pure. Abram withheld the full truth, okay, when he was trying to protect himself. That's what happens when we begin to try to protect ourselves. The truth becomes irrelevant. Have you ever been to a trial? The witness places his hand on the Bible and says, I swear before God and his holy word that I will tell the truth. And then at some point, the opposing attorney will sometimes remind the person who's testifying that they are under oath. And the reason he tells them that they are under oath and reminds them of this, he's telling them, if you lie, you're going to go to jail. The truth is, we should all live our lives as though we're under oath. It would change the way that we operate 
and change the way that we do things if we were constantly aware that we are under oath and God sees it all. We begin to tell the truth a whole lot more in our lives. If we make a habit of telling truth, we're going to be more careful with what our actions are. The next step in this progression is rationalization. We justify in our mind our decisions based on what we think is best for us. You know what the tough thing is about this? I have to do all these things that I preach. I have to live this stuff. Maybe you can just sit out there and listen to it and go, well, yeah, maybe so. It gets a little more serious when you have to say it. We justify in our minds our decisions based on what we think is best for us. If I'm driving down the road one day, and I'm driving 51 miles per hour, and the speed zone is 40 miles per hour. I think to myself, you know, I'm speeding, and I look in the rear view mirror, I check my side view mirrors, I look over the shoulders, there's no cops, it's okay. I continue on my merry way, but I know or should know speeding's wrong. It's probably not going to send me to hell. Getting a ticket's probably not going to cause me to burn, okay? However, we're supposed to be law-abiding citizens and obey those things. But me, I was rationalizing. I'm driving too fast. I'm driving over the speed limit, but it's okay. No one's watching. I remember being in Madison, Texas. I'm heading to Galveston, and I can't remember the occasion. I don't. I know what it was. It was a little kid who was going to the Scottish Rites Hospital down there. He was going to be in the hospital. He was going to have some kind of facial surgery. We're driving down there. I pull off in Madison. I get something to drink, and I'm driving out, and I come to a stoplight. And I'm sitting there at the stoplight, and while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking this is the biggest waste of time there is. There's nobody coming. I sit there for five minutes waiting for the light to change, and it stays red. I sit there another five minutes just fuming, and I think, I'm going. So as soon as I take off, a cop pulls in behind me and gives me a citation. And I remind him, I said, that light sat there for ten minutes and never changed. I never saw that it ever was green. It could have been 30 minutes ago that it was green. I was set a whole lot nicer, I'm telling you now, because I'm getting all worked up about it at the moment. And I'll tell you the rest of the story. Later, I called down the courthouse. I told them the situation, and the lady says, don't worry about it. That light's been broke for years. They tore the ticket. But the, I guess the point is, I thought I could get away with it because nobody was watching. That's rationalization. And then we come to the other progression here. The next step is consequence. You've heard the phrase, you reap what you sow from Scripture. Every action has consequence. You sow good things, good things happen. That's very positive. But on the negative side of things, if you sow bad seeds, watch out. 
I don't know if the bad thing came with Pharaoh. When Abraham gave his wife or sister, whatever she wanted to be called at that time, to the, to the Pharaoh, excuse me. I don't know if that was the bad thing because a lot of things were poured out on Pharaoh at that time. We think, yeah, that's good, you know, whatever. But do you remember all of the things that Pharaoh gave Abram to take back to the land that he was promised? Do you know quite possibly because we know that Hagar was an Egyptian? And you know that story? That's where all of the Ishmaelites come from. All of the enemies of Israel come from Hagar. Quite possibly, Hagar was one of the servants that he was given in that group of people that he took back with all the cattle and all that other thing to be his servant. We may not have ever heard of Hagar. Had Abram not fallen when he came into difficult circumstances and made a poor decision and tried to get out ahead of God, he picks up Hagar and takes her home. whole set of problems that we don't even see as related. I was rationalizing. It's okay. Then the consequences came. This affects Sarai. I feel sorry for Sarai here. She's put into a harem. We don't know if the Pharaoh ever had relations, relations with her or not. But Abram was willing to just give his wife up to this guy. This isn't a Valentine sermon, is it? Bible doesn't talk about that. Some Bible historians, they don't believe that she ever had any type of sexual relationship with Pharaoh. Huh. I know men. the decision will lead Abram down this progression. And finally, we come to the part where the truth gets revealed. The truth always comes out. At some point in the end, the truth is going to come out. And you know, the truth may not come out here on this earth. It will come out sometime. I believe there's some people that take secrets to their grave. But they can't ever keep it from God. We've got to get these things under the blood as quickly as we possibly can. Father, forgive us for going down this progression. Here's what I want you to take home. Bam. We are really good at messing up our lives. But the good positive thing about that is God is really good about putting them back together. We can mess them up really good, but God can straighten it out. Would you stand?